0: I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to another edition of Direct Snap. This is episode 11, and this is what I like to call, let's say, my 2015 football recap. But as always, you can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Vine under the same tag, FootballGamePlan. And also, if you want to catch one of our podcasts or you missed this episode and want to hear any other episodes, we have those archived on our website, at com slash podcast. And if you're not familiar with Direct Snap, this is a podcast where we like to talk about or address controversial football topics or pick on controversial football topics that many want to either tap dance around or just avoid completely. We don't tap dance or avoid any topic on this episode, but today we're just going to recap the 2015, let's say, football season, talking about NFL. and may touch on a little bit of college football. So uh, again, not a lot of stuff that we have to uh dive into today. So we may be out of here under an hour. Um, but I'd like to get at least 60 minutes of direct snap talk to you guys. Oh, before I forget, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which has a bunch of our YouTube videos, or actually all of our YouTube videos, and a lot of our video content that we push out. Remember, we're about 95% video content. So you go to YouTube.com/slash football game plan. Click that subscribe button, and then that way you can get updated with any video that we upload, and we do a bunch of stuff uh, football-related, you know, whether it be previews, um, analysis, whiteboard stuff. And now that we're transitioning into draft season, keep an eye on our draft content. We got some great, unique content coming out on our YouTube channel in conjunction with football game plan scouting. So I would also follow that on Twitter, at FBGP Scouting, and also subscribe to that YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com/slash FBGP Scouting. And speaking of scouting, we just finished forty-one bowl games, college football bowl games. And you know, with a lot of guys that want to get into scouting, and uh, they have their draft draft websites, and they do a lot of things with prospects all season long, uh, which is great. Because here's the thing: when you're doing These let's say if you want to be into the whole what they like to call draft Twitter or what have you, um, and you're doing these scouting reports on these players that you've watched all season long, uh, some since their freshman year. So a lot of guys put in a lot of work and they do a lot of great things with their websites and uh, with their reports. You know, some again, the scouting process starts Once you step foot on a college football field, some guys even go even deeper like we do with high school stuff. So we go into high school recruiting and that way we've seen this guy for like five or six years, depending on how long he stays in college. But what I, what I always find interesting is that anytime bowl games come around, everyone puts all of their eggs, their scouting eggs in one basket. Okay. So-and-so is playing in the uh, Chick-fil-A canes, chicken fingers, Shrimp fry rice bowl. Right. And so if he doesn't play well in this bowl game, then all bets are off. But you you can't do that because, one, it's a bowl game and you shouldn't have one game trump everything you've done in scouting on this player. It should just be a piece of the puzzle, you know, like another game. It depends, though. Um, So if you're playing in the, you know, Aquafina no water left in the water cooler bowl in Pakistan, New Mexico, whatever. You know, if you're playing in one of those Far the Way bowl games that's so on that's that's taking place like the first week of December, you don't want to put too much stock in this game. You always like to look at the matchup. So let's say a game like a uh the game that Jared Goff played in, the Armed Force Forces Bowl. Uh he played against Air Force. So you're not really gonna learn anything about his game against Air Force because it's not the matchup, you know. So let's say if he played against um, Houston, who has tremendous athleticism on the corners, yes, you may learn a little something about his game in that that contest because of the matchups, but you're not going to learn anything against Air Force based off the matchups. And what's funny is that he had a great game, made a couple of good throws, but now everyone is saying, see, this is why you want to take him, number one. He is completely done with college football. I would leave right now. I wouldn't even come back and play in the second half. I'm so done with college football from Jerry Goff, which is interesting because I think another player did that in a bowl game, but I'll get to that later. That's called a tease, my friends. But you can't put that much emphasis on a bowl game. However, if your bowl game is one of these New Year's – uh." one of these playoff games, these college football playoff games. Yes. Why? Because that's to me like the NFL, it's a win or go home type situation. So you're going to learn a lot about a person's willingness to handle pressure, uh, handle the the situation, handle the moment. And nine times out of 10, they're going to draw a great matchup schematically on all fronts, because those are quote unquote, the best four teams in college football. Uh, to play in the playoffs. So that's one way you could look at the bowl game, but you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. So if a guy just doesn't do well in a bowl game, you can't sit there and say, you know what? I'm dropping him off my board. I'm dropping his stock because look how he played in this bowl game. It's no different than what you see in an all-star game. Um, you know, it's that, to me, an all-star game is even worse. You see guys stock quote unquote rise and fall from an all-star game or all-star practices which is funny because, again, you're throwing away three to four years of work that you've put in or so you say you've put in, you know. But you see a lot of definitive statements coming after these bowl games, which ties into what you've seen, let's say, for instance, people bring up, well, look at Cardell Jones and how his stock rose in, in in the bowl games with an S, plural. Well, here's the difference between Cardell Jones playing in bowl games and also, let's say, a Jared Goff playing in the Armed Forces Bowl. If they would have lost the Armed Forces Bowl, nothing matters. The season was over. But if Cordell Jones, given the situation, wouldn't have beat beaten Wisconsin in a Big Ten championship game, they don't go to the playoffs. And now they're in the playoffs. If so they don't beat Alabama, they don't they don't move on. If they don't beat Oregon, they don't win the title. You can't ask for three bigger games in one season. It's no different than when you look at an FCS quarterback, let's say like a Carson Wentz last year. They're playing in the playoffs. That's strictly when I go home. They have to win three to four games to to claim the national cha- championship. And they won, what, four straight? They're going for their fifth this year. Uh, they play Jacksonville State at the end of the week, which would be a great game, by the way. We're going to preview that on our website at footballgameplan.com and youtube.com slash footballgameplan. But – um. That's win or go home type situations. That's when you know a guy has the mental toughness, the situational awareness, all that good stuff you like to look for, the intangibles people like to say. But playing in the, you know, uh, shop shop right or stop and shop bowl is not going is not going to tell you that. Uh, but you do pick up some things. You see how a guy competes. You see how a guy prepares because nine times out of ten for these bowl games, depending on depending on when you play, um. You've had three to four weeks of preparation, so you want to come out and not be flat. So you do learn about a guy's preparation. You do learn about a guy's uh, ability to focus. Um, as you've seen in in, in the uh, Alamo Bowl, which ended up being probably the best bowl game this season um, because of the comeback and because of the victory of TCU, I mean, their quarterback made a personal choice and decided to go AWOL and get into a bar fight with the cops and missed the game. So he wasn't prepared. He wasn't focused. That's that's Trayvon Boykin, and um, that's what you learn about. You know, how can you focus when you have time off when given a little bit of leeway? Uh, so you learn to, you learn those things about guys in these bowl games. But bowl game scouting, you just want to see basically what you've seen all season long. Again, this is what so for a lot of guys maybe their twelfth or thirteenth or even fourteenth game nowadays in college football, and you don't want to see a situation where you're you're throwing away four, I never understand that, throwing away four years of evaluation for 60 minutes and what they do or don't do, you know, because it just doesn't make sense. That's an improper way to evaluate. And if you're doing that, you're doing this whole thing wrong. And staying with the whole bowl game theme, I mean, you look at two games in particular, you look at Uh, what I like to call the Gator Bowl, but it's now the Tax Slayer Bowl, but I still like to call it the Gator Bowl. I'm a traditionalist. Yeah, Penn State taking on Georgia. You also look at the Cotton Bowl, which is not being played in the Cotton Bowl stadium. Again, I'm a traditionalist. I like to see the Cotton Bowl be played in the Cotton Bowl, but it's played at Jerry's World in Arlington, Texas, and that was between Michigan State and Alabama. Now, those two games have two lightning rod prospects as far as quarterback talk is concerned you have Christian Hackenberg at Penn State and you have Connor Cook at Michigan State. I want to ask you guys a question. And you know, after we record this podcast, I'll put the question out there on Twitter um, and see what you guys think, but I mean, you you've heard a lot of reports about two guys and you've seen a lot of commentary back and forth about these two guys. Some say they could be first round picks. Some say they could be top 5 picks. Some say they're franchise guys. I think they're both just solid, decent, let's say, backup-type quarterbacks. You know, guys that you can trust starting in a two- to three-game stretch. You know, guys that if they have to be your starter, you can win with uh, if you are able to minimize their opportunities throwing the football. um, You know, but if you're asking them to take over a team and go throw – 35 times a game, that's not their strength, I don't believe, and I think that's playing losing football. Um, But I want to ask a question. Because of what you hear and what you see, who is more Bo Callahan, Christian Hackenberg or Connor Cook? Because you've heard so many different things. Um, And a lot of guys come to the defense of, let's say, a lot of guys come to the defense, quite honestly, of Christian Hackenberg. It seems like everyone is basically writing off Connor cook as being this malcontent. So when I say who is more Bo Callahan, um, if you guys have seen the movie draft day uh, when the Browns had the the top pick, they had a choice between the, the linebacker or uh, a quarterback and they could have stayed with the quarterback they had in the roster or have taken the guy that was the quote unquote slam dunk. Number one pick Bo Callahan coming out of Wisconsin. So but there were issues with Bo Callahan, and, you know, his teammates didn't really trust him. They didn't show up to his birthday party or something like that, which which kind of falls in line to how people view Connor Cook. Well, you know, Cook wasn't even voted his team, you know, the captain of his football team. What does that say about his character? You know, he snatched the trophy out of Archie Griffin's hand. What does that say about his character? And, and you can understand why people would – see that because nine times out of 10 quarterbacks tend to get especially senior quarterbacks tend to get uh just automatically put as the the team captain so for counter cook not to be team captain you do have some questions like wow that's that's strange or maybe just they just felt like you know he's not the type of guy that could be a captain which isn't which has nothing to do with his on the field play and that's what i'm trying to get at like you can't just because somebody didn't vote you team captain don't mean you can't go out there and do your job and they don't expect you to go out there and play well. Um, now, for Christian Hackenberg, all you hear is, oh, the offensive line failed him. Everyone around him failed. You know, Oh, man, the, the offensive line, he was getting beat up. They didn't have any weapons at receiver. They couldn't run the football. I mean, he's normally good on, on Bermuda grass, but they play on bluegrass. You know, the, they don't have names on the back of the jersey all the time. They don't have a logo on the helmet. You know, the whole Jerry Dusky thing, and, you know, sometimes Penn State, you can't really get them on TV, and how can you expect him to perform well if he's not on national TV? I mean, all the excuses in the world for Christian Hackenberg. But the one that you don't hear is that, hey, maybe he can't read defenses. Maybe he has an issue with pressure, pressure of the situation, pressure of the moment, pressure coming from the opposing defense. Why? Why can't you question that? And those were some of the same things people questioned about Bo Callahan, in, in particular when uh, the fact that they played against that linebacker—I can't remember his name—I want to say Alan Mack or whatever it is—but um, the linebacker said, "Hey, this guy can't handle pressure," and I think that's the same thing you can say about Christian Hackenberg. And quite honestly, I made—I alluded to it earlier about this bowl game and how you know some guy checked out. Just from – I don't know. I think Christian Hackenberg checked out that bowl game. Um, He was getting sacked. He was getting hit. He started off very well. Um, You know, he made some good throws. He was in rhythm. They moved their football down the field with ease against Georgia. They moved the pocket for him. He did a great job. And it shows you a glimpse of what he can do if he's on on schedule and and, in rhythm. Um, So, which I said, you can – not he can be a a decent starter, you know, but – after he got hurt, I think he hurt his shoulder. And, and again, I'm not saying he's he faked an injury. I'm not saying that. But I just feel like he checked out, like, oh, uh, my shoulder's hurt. I can possibly go back. But, nah, I'm going to go back and uh, be in street clothes and just watch this game because I already know I'm going to the league. Immediately following the game, he announces he's going to the NFL. Kudos for him. But also didn't give credit to James Franklin. That's not a person they blame for, for Hackenberg's. Uh, shortcomings. Well, you know, James Franklin ruined him. Like, yes, some of the plays that they've called didn't help. Ha- didn't help you know him have as much success. However, they brought in Joe Moorhead, and I've seen a lot of Fordham games, both live and on on a uh, film. Moorhead is a hell of a coach, and he's a hell of a quarterbacks guru. I mean, he got the most out of the two quarterbacks he had. At Fordham. They put up crazy numbers. So if I'm Christian Hackenberg, I've, if I see Joe Moorhead coming in, I'm like, hey, this guy can help me reclaim that quote unquote magic I had as a freshman. Because you have to trust now that Penn State will have a full slate of scholarships, they're going to bring in a lot more talent. They brought in a new offensive coordinator who does a great job with quarterbacks. and designing a system around a QB position. Hell, he played the quarterback position at a high level at Fordham and also in the Arena League. So he knows the position. He knows how to get the most out of it. And that would have been a great mesh of coach and project with Christian Hackenberg. So if in my opinion, he should have stayed. However, I think he checked out and was already out. It was like, you know what, I'm going to use this. My shoulder hurts, but it's not bad. But I'm just not going to play anymore. Um, so I'm out. And I'm going to the league, and I give credit to Bill O'Brien, but not giving credit to James Franklin. To me, that's a Bo Callahan-type move because now you're calling out – you're blaming your coach for your lack of success. And who wants that in their locker room? As much as people like to talk about this locker room, who wants the person that is going to blame everybody else but themselves? On the flip side, you have Connor Cook, who is, you know, what they call the the smugness of a quarterback where – you know he he has the attitude issue he has you know the team the guys don't follow him and now everybody is in uh everybody does a great job i guess uh, and i'm being sarcastic when i say this but everybody now is body language experts so not only do you have to play well not only do you have to be a a captain if you're a quarterback but you also have to have perfect in great body language. So if you throw an interception and if you're getting your face kicked in by Alabama, you got to smile. You got to give that Jake DeLome rah, rah, we can do this guy's speech. Even though you're the one that's fucking up, you got to be, you got to be that leader. You got to be that fiery in your face, spit to, on, on other, on a, other players face masks. And you got to shake somebody's shoulder pads. You got to have that mean look of intensity because that shows leadership. That's your leadership body language. But if you're having a bad game and you're frustrated and you just look up at the sky, like, dang, I'm, I'm sucking, we're sucking, all of a sudden people look at your body language and see, like, yep, see, that's, that's why he wasn't voted team captain. You know, how can I take a player with that body language? I don't know when everybody decided to go from fans to analysts to psychiatrists when they're talking about certain players and what are they thinking and what's in their mind and this is what they want to say and this is what they, they're thinking right here to also now body language experts. I think people miss their calling. A lot of people probably should have been cops or detectives as opposed to, you know, trying to be football analysts the way they go go above and beyond with body language and, and personality traits and, you know uh, what they want someone to say and how they want somebody to look. We just saw Cam Newton can't even put a towel over his head. uh, And people already talk about how he's a degenerate, you know? So I just find people to be hilarious, but I want to ask you guys, uh, based off all this information, I, I I know I said a lot, but based off all this information, who is more Bo Callahan? Who is more Bo Callahan to you, Connor Cook or Christian Hackenberg? I'm a, I'm interested to see you guys' answers on this because I think both players have a little bit of that Bo Callahan-ishness ist if uh, you know whatever you want to add to the end of that. I think both players had that Bo Callahan uh, in them. Another guy that I think you just transitioning to the pro game. That I think has that Bo Callahan ist to them is um the Miami Dolphins uh, quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Now, you heard Miko Grimes comments, and I spoke about that on the last podcast, and how there's some truth to what she's saying, even though the messages came out, you know, <laughs> came out hot. Um, but I think Ryan Tannehill may have that little bit of Bo Callahan in him, uh, you know, because you always hear, oh, they don't, they don't give him an opportunity to be successful. They they don't help him out. They need weapons. They need help. I mean, well, damn. If you're Ryan Tannehill, I mean, here are the players you've played with if you're Ryan Tannehill. I mean, you've played with Reggie Bush, Anthony Fasano, Charles Clay, Mike Wallace, Brian Hartline, Daniel Thomas, Noshaw Moreno, Orleans Darkwell, LaMichael James, Rashard Matthews, they drafted with you, Jordan Cameron, Kenny Stills, Greg Jennings. I mean, they've constantly brought talent around you. Out of the 32 draft picks they've had, not counting yourself, 16 of which have been on the offensive side of football, you've gone through two head coaches, two offensive coordinators, one of which was your college head coach. They even changed the uniforms for you. They bought in new seats for the stadiums, so now the seats are all aqua. So they've constantly made changes around him. They've tried to help him out. What's the common denominator? It's him. 7-9, 8-8, 8-8, and this year 6-10. So what more help do you need before you realize that, yo, you're the common denominator. It's you, you stink. And he doesn't stink to where he can't win games. I mean, again, they went seven and nine, they went eight and eight twice. You know, they went six and 10, although they had a little bit of turmoil because of, uh, you know, the coaching change and things like that. He was one and three under um, Philbin earlier in this year, in the first quarter, then went five and seven under Dan Campbell. So, But you notice when they – after Philbin was fired and they went with Campbell, they won two straight games. Why? Because they took the ball out of his hands. He was efficient as hell. I think the first game when they blew out Tennessee, he was 18 of 19. I think he completed like 95% of his passes. Had four touchdowns, but they ran the heck out of the football. They they used that Tony Romo plan where they took the ball out of Romo's hands, put it in the belly of of a tailback. Lamar Miller had a fantastic year. And then they allowed him to operate off play action. They minimized his opportunities with the football. If you do that with Ryan Tannehill, I think you can win more games than you lose. But you can't continue to try to make him Dan Marino. That's where they get into trouble. So it's not like he doesn't have talent. I mean, his interceptions have dropped every year. His yards have gone up every year. You know, his touchdowns have improved. He's going to be a consistent. He can be statistically like Eli Manning. You're 24 and 12 type guy. But where you want him to improve is in the situation. And the best way you can help him out by doing so is taking the ball out of his hands in those situations and minimizes the opportunities he has to make a bad mistake. Uh, I mean, sorry, there's no such thing as a bad mistake, but a mistake is bad. But, you know, you want to minimize his opportunities in those situations. So I think they can have success, but let's not kid ourselves and think that they haven't tried to help him out. I mean, the Dolphins changed their entire uniforms, you know. So, Reggie Bush was on the team. I mean, listen, so there there were chances for these guys to have success. He just has to make sure he does his part and not screw it up. But some guys can't avoid the big mistake. You look at Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Jets yesterday. Played a great season for his standards. I mean, yeah, he, he was – the first six games, six or seven games, it was kind of like, you know, how long are they going to play, play this game of believing uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is their guy? Then he started to catch fire. He was confident. He was making plays with his legs. He wasn't turning the ball over. He was throwing strikes. He was coming, you know, leading the team back to victories, uh, from come from behind victories. They beat the Patriots. They were one game away from the playoffs. Win and you're in. And he wasn't playing a bad game in the first three quarters. You know, the Bills just had a, a really good game playing defensively, and the Jets' defense was just giving up too many plays on third downs. However, in the fourth quarter, the real Ryan Fitzpatrick that we've seen over the course of his ten-year career came out. Three interceptions. Now, granted, the last one, I'm willing to I'm willing to give him a pass for because the play before he threw the interception. He literally threw the game winner. Kimbrell Tompkins should have caught the football, and he would have walked into the end zone. But, see, that's what you get for throwing the football to Kimbrell Tompkins. You know? So, but Ryan Fitzpatrick froze up in the moment through an interception in the end zone, through the game-clinching interception, through another interception that was a bad throw over the middle of the field. But what I found interesting today is that now they're going to um, – I saw – Tony Pauline, who does you know draft work, what have you, uh, for his own site, I think, talked about the Jets are in the market for a quarterback. They're, they've been scouting quarterbacks heavily this year. Well, it should be because you scout every position. You never know what you might come across. But what I don't get is you drafted a quarterback last year that you thought was going to be your quote-unquote future in Bryce Petty. He's had all offseason to learn the system. You know, you have a quarterback in Geno Smith that didn't even get the opportunity to to play this year. I mean, to play, you know, extent to start this year because of a teammate going rogue, punching him in the in jaw and, and breaking his jaw. Now he's out for the quote unquote season. But the funny part is all you heard prior to that incident was Geno Smith looks amazing in mini camp and OTAs. He looks amazing in off season uh, in, in, you know, the fall camp in, in August. And then he gets injured And now he doesn't play, and people say, "Well, yeah, they did." You know, Geno's not the people automatically say, "Well, Geno's not the answer," you know. But we already know why they say that because Geno has that quarterback is not the answer type skin tone. But if you look at the last two games Geno Smith has played, the last the last game he started was the end of the season last year. Twenty of twenty five, three hundred and fifty eight yards, three touchdowns, eighty percent completion percentage, and they beat the brakes off the off the Dolphins. Then you look at the game he got in this year when Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. 27 of 42, 265, two touchdowns, one interception, 64% completion percentage. So the last two games, Geno Smith has at least 70% completion percentage, 623 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. But he's not the answer. He hasn't even gotten an opportunity to play with these guys that he, you know, like the Brandon Marshalls, the uh Eric Decker on the same field. They get Jason Morrow back. Hopefully they draft a tailback that that has game-breaking ability, although Chris Ivory I thought should have been a pro bowler. Um, I still think they can upgrade at that position. They also are going to get Devin Smith back. So I think Geno Smith probably is the guy that they want. They should allow the play. He he has, His arrow is going up. But, again, he doesn't have that benefit of the doubt skin tone at that position. Now, if Geno Smith was a tailback, oh, absolutely, he'll get every opportunity. If he was a receiver, oh, absolutely. But since he's a quarterback, you know how that goes. Um, they don't want you know, they they rather their quarterbacks uh when I say they, I'm talking about people that are that think like idiots. They rather their quarterback have a certain look. They want Bo Callahan. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets take Christian Hackenberg or Connor Cook and expect different results. They thought Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't going to go all Ryan Fitzpatrick in that game that they had to win, which is essentially a playoff game against Buffalo. But I digress, but let's move on to my NFL recap, or let's say what I've learned from this 2015 NFL regular season Um because we still have some great games left in the playoffs and we still have to, you know, crown the Super Bowl champion and stuff like that. And there's some great, the final 12 teams I think are outstanding. I think it's going to be a great playoff run, but just now that 20 other teams are, are out of it and what I've learned from this regular season, just looking back at my preseason predictions, and man, they were all over the place. I was so wrong on a bunch of this, on a bunch of these teams and what they thought that how I thought they were going to play out. Starting with the, the AFC East, I had it New England, Miami, the Jets, and Buffalo. So flip-flop the Jets and, uh, well, I mean, Miami finished last and Buffalo finished third, I think. So what was wrong with that one? NFC East, I had Philly, Dallas, Washington, and the Giants. I got the Giants right. Um, I thought Philly's defense was going to be real good this year like they were last year. I thought their offense, with the additions they made, that they were going to be much better than what we saw this year. I thought Dallas, honestly – you know, obviously with Romo not being 100%, you can't really give Dallas a grade for that. Uh, but I thought Dallas had a really good shot to be good once again. Um, totally didn't see Washington having a success. I thought they, I knew their defense was going to be good um, because I like what they've added in the front seven. I thought their offense with that ability to run the football was going to be solid. Um, I thought at least the quarterback was going to be RG3. Didn't see that from Kirk Cousins. Um Giants, I just knew they had a lot of questions on the defensive side of the ball still, even with the draft and free agency. Didn't too much believe in that. Buffalo, going back to the AFC East, I thought Miami actually had a chance to get into the playoffs. I thought they had enough talent defensively, more than enough talent on offense. And I thought how they ended last year and how they're going to utilize Ryan Tannehill's running ability to help add to the running game, I thought that was going to be, you know, work wonders for this football team. Um, and it's funny, though, a lot of Dolphins fans criticize me because I said they have a true number one in Jarvis Landry. Oh, he's not a number one. He doesn't have the speed. He's not. All of a sudden, now you see a lot of Jarvis Landry jerseys from these uh, Miami Dolphin fanboys on these forums and, and on these websites. But I digress on that, too. Now, moving over to the AFC North, I had it. This was the one I really was off on. I had Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. Well, I got Cleveland right Um, I was completely wrong on Cincinnati, but I remember saying that I thought Cincinnati was going to be a team uh, that was going to have a winning record but finished third and missed the playoffs when really Baltimore was a team that, that was on the slide because of injuries and things like that and just poor play. Uh, Pittsburgh had them right number two. Um, I, I just think Pittsburgh is a solid team. You know, I, I really believe that going into the season, even though they had some injuries as well. Uh, NFC North, I had it: Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago kind of felt that way. Uh, flip-flop Green Bay, and Minnesota. I thought both those teams were, were very solid on paper. Um, AFC South, I had Indiana, I'm sorry, Indianapolis, Tennessee, Houston, Jacksonville. Now this was interesting. I thought all teams in this division was going to finish with, within that one to two game type, uh, thing. And it kind of worked out that way because you had Jacksonville that had a shot, at the playoffs. Tennessee did for a little bit. Uh, we know about Indy and Houston. So this was a closer division because of all the injuries. But also, I think teams are are they're building in the right direction. I like the AFC South. Uh, NFC South, I had New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay. Now, you got to flip-flop New Orleans and Atlanta. And Carolina, obviously, was the best team. Oh, that's the one I didn't see coming. I knew they were going to be back in the playoffs, but I didn't see them having success with uh, – calvin benjamin uh being injured you know also with the fact that they still didn't quote unquote improve their offensive line i had questions about that um i thought new orleans with the improvements they made uh defensively with the pieces they added i thought they were going to be much better but they ended up being the worst defense in football so shows you what i know and afc west i had this san diego denver oakland kansas city completely whiffed on kansas city uh, Oakland I knew would be better, and they actually finished third, so which was ideal. Wrong on Denver, I, I mean on San Diego. San Diego was honestly my Super Bowl pick. I thought the Chargers was going to, with the Melvin Gordon selection, having a running back along with that passing game, I thought they were going to be a team to beat. You know, I liked the activity in their back seven. Their front three gave them issues all season long, but uh, it's tough to figure out San Diego. Um, and NFC West I had Seattle. St. Louis at number two. I I drank the Kool-Aid. Arizona at three. I had, and I remember saying in the video, same thing I said with the Bengals, that Arizona will have a winning record but finish third because I thought St. Louis would finally break that door in, but they're still hovering around that 79, 8, 8 mark, and I knew San Francisco wasn't going to be as good because of all the retirements and things like that. Um, So that's where I had the predictions. Now, if I had to give an award, uh, let's say MVP. I know it's so hard to go against... Cam Newton, man. I I mean, Newton has had, what, 35 touchdowns to only 10 interceptions, 99.2 passer rating. I mean, he has, what, 14, 10 rushing touchdowns, 600 yards rushing. So he is accounted for 45 touchdowns. I mean, and the fact that the Panthers are 15-1, and they shouldn't have lost to Atlanta, but he didn't play as well versus the Falcons, 17-30, no touchdowns. So it's tough to go against Cam Newton, but my MVP is Russell Wilson. I mean, you look at what this dude did this year. And because of the Panthers' team success and how crazy Cam Newton has played, um, to be honest, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games with a hundred plus passer rating, you know, seven of which are over 114. And two were, I mean, he had 153 versus Atlanta. Well, He was fifteen to twenty-one, three touchdowns. I mean, you outside of those, just a while that they're fifteen and one, and Cam Newton has played bonkers. Russell Wilson became the first player in NFL history to throw for four thousand yards and rush for five hundred. Boom, thirty-four touchdowns and also throw for thirty touchdowns in the same season. Thirty-four touchdowns, eight interceptions, eight interceptions. That's remarkable 8.3 yards per attempt so he's going downfield and 110 passer rating for the season so remember they had that stretch where he hadn't thrown an interception i think it was like 15 touchdowns no picks but remember it was supposed to be just because he he had success because of run game and defense remember those days people still feel that way man but like i said before man people are crazy um People really watch football but don't don't understand what they're looking at. I mean, this is a guy over the course of his four-year career has been the model of consistency. Nothing less than 63% completion percentage. This past year he was 68%. Threw for 4,000 yards, 34 touchdowns. He hasn't thrown double-digit interceptions since his rookie season in which he threw 10. So, I mean, this is remarkable with this guy. And he has three out of the four seasons – over 100 passer rating. I mean, he is playing phenomenal football. And he played phenomenal this year. So I think, in my opinion, he's the MVP. Now, the Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, I-, I would have to go to Ty Gurley. He didn't even start the season, went over 1,000 yards. Coming off that knee injury, you have to give it to him. You know, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie, Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Peters. And in my opinion, Prospect rankings video, which I do a great job with, I must say, myself. I compared his game to Charles Woodson. And all he did was go out there and and pick off numerous passes, bring some back for touchdowns, become a lockdown corner, a playmaker. Exactly what you saw on film at Washington. But people want to knock his game and think he wasn't that good. I don't know. I, again, I don't know what people be looking at when they watch these, these college games. It's fascinating to me how wrong people can be. But I guess they like to say it's an inexact science, right? But like I said, the last podcast this is not an inexact science. You just fucking suck at what you do. Now, offensive player of the year—I'll give this one to Cam Newton because fifteen and one—the numbers he put up and how he's doing it in the situation. I mean, the the comeback wins and. I mean, Newton has played great football. He's probably going to end up being the MVP. But I give him Offensive Player of the Year. I'll say with the same team with Defensive Player of the Year, Josh Norman. I mean, out of nowhere, Norman became Darrell Revis and really was shutting down opponents, making game-changing plays. His signature play, I believe, was the play he made against the Saints when he tipped the ball away in the end zone, you know, or picked it off, I believe. To intercept it, he intercepted the game winner in the end zone. And that's just, he just played phenomenal all season long. Um, I, I would say comeback player of the year, I'll give it an offensive and defensive award. Um, defensively, you obviously have to go with Eric Berry. I mean, the guy had cancer. You and cu- To come back and play exceptionally well on a team that's playing some great football, Eric Berry is a defensive comeback player of the year, in my opinion. Carson Palmer coming back from injury, playing out of his mind. He's also in the conversation of the MVP. He has – I think he would be the offensive comeback player of the year. You know, he's played phenomenal. And most improved, I would look at a couple of guys. Two offensive guys, I think, Kirk Cousins and Ryan Fitzpatrick, they played well, um, well above what what was expected of them coming into the season. And Khalil Mack and Ziggy Ansah, two young defenders that really bumped up their play in the pass rush department. Khalil Mack had, what, four sacks last year. Now he had 15. I think he was a leader in sacks, or second in sacks, I believe. Um, Ziggy do another one had seven sacks last year now had 14 or so. So those guys made big jumps in their game. So the future is bright for them. Um, the biggest surprise, I, I would say, the Washington Redskins. I mean, winning the division with Kirk Cousins, who has been playing out of his mind the last eight weeks, uh, I think that would be the biggest surprise. And the biggest disappointment, I mentioned it earlier, my Super Bowl pick, the San Diego Chargers. I I totally whiffed on those guys. I thought they were a talented team that just needed a running back to balance out that offense. Gordon stayed injured, banged up, ineffective all throughout the season. And they ended up getting what? They have a top five pick in the draft, which is unheard of for San Diego. Uh, Coach of the year, I, I you have to give it to Andy Reid. I mean, to win, the, the Chiefs were one and five, I believe. One and five this year. And they won nine straight games or, or ten straight games, something like that. You cannot underestimate or you know, are you can't uh you you can't say that Andy Reed's impact on that football team wasn't tremendous. I mean, they stayed the course and you saw Alex Smith gain confidence, the passing game started to gain confidence, they played without Jamal Charles, which is their number one playmaker. Their receiving Receiving core is still not in the script. I mean, outside of Travis Kelsey, yes, you have Macklin, but, you know, and he's played well. But they play great football both offensively and defensively right now. No one is playing better defense than Kansas City. They look like they looked last year when they had the number one defense. So I think Kansas City is a team that you, that can find themselves in Santa Clara at the end of this this playoffs you know playing for a super bowl because they're playing with great confidence they're on the streak they're 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 doing things both offensively and defensively and they're doing it without some of their best players so to me that's coaching and that's Andy Reid being able to adjust his roster you know tweak a few things here and there and still get maximum results so um that's a, about what I've learned so far from this NFL season so th- those are my regular season awards and my thoughts on regular season long, with my predictions, but, um, I think that's it for direct snap today, man. That's 41 minutes we we've talked. And yes, I, I am keeping time on, on how long I've talked and things like that, but, uh, new year, new me as people like to say, but we still have the same things you can go check out, go to our website at football dot slash books and check out our three book releases, football, a love story, what did football teach me and stiff arming football myths um, all of which you can you can get great deals on on our website footballgameplan.com slash books you guys say you like football game plan you say you enjoy our work our content our videos support us by checking out one of our books you know that's how you truly show support and and we're thankful that you're watching our videos you're reading our articles you're retweeting our uh, our tweets and you're, you're stealing our content we, we get that we appreciate that and at that last comment was just a subtle jab a sub jab to those that that tend to borrow creatively borrow uh, our content but to show support check out one of our books uh you know we keep it within the white lines we don't get outside of our our comfort zone so we keep it on field and we do a great job in 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 that in covering that aspect and we also have some great things coming down the pike for the draft um i can't give it away i want to give it away but you know it's we have some great things coming from the for the for the draft so be in tune for that you know all of our videos we're going to have our preview videos of the college football playoff clemson alabama coming out we're also going to preview the fcs championship game between jacksonville state and north dakota state we also have some previews coming out now that the college football season is coming to a close you you, now we're going to start that all-star circuit and the first game is a gridiron showcase classic that we're going to preview um this week uh they've done a a great job in acquiring some underrated talent and they're going to present their game in a unique way, which doesn't involve a game. It's just the practices. um, And then that's it. So because scouts don't, don't stay for the game anyway. And and for their pockets, they're saving money, but they're maximizing the the scouts jobs while they're there in town in Texas. Also, I will put out my January mock draft before the end of the week. And you know how I do mock drafts is based on what I would do not what I'm hearing from my quote unquote fake make-believe sources or, or which is essentially people reading tea leaves on Twitter and trying to connect dots nobody has sources or they do if they do and maybe that's just I'm it's just me but the amount of guys that I know personally that that play in the league, the amount of coaches that I know that coach in the league and also coaching college football, the amount of information I get told to me on a daily basis I don't feel the need to share it with you guys why? Because they told me that in confidence, so I don't get why guys hear something and go quickly, oh, look what I heard guys from my sources, like that's how you don't remain a, that's how you, you know that's how you don't get information, so I choose not to share what I've heard from players, coaches both in the league and in college football that I know personally um, so I mean, my mock drafts are based on what I would do if I were the g m and quite honestly, when I look at uh these videos I've done these inside the war room videos had teams just listen to me. Everybody would finish no worse than 10 and six or eight and eight. I'm sorry, because their their teams would be too, too well stocked with talent. Yes, I'm biased, but I'm also telling the truth and that's facts. And this has been another episode of direct snap. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh-huh. Yeah Uh Yeah